0: I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech Show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Brands express themselves through web animation. Some brands can appear playful, while others more serious, by using animation effectively. Valhead, design evangelist of UX innovation at Adobe, explains how animation style guidelines can be used to have consistent animation at a company. We also talked about design tools what she learned from clients as an independent consultant, and how she's building a community of designers. It was great to have Val back on the show. I hope you liked this episode as much as I did. To learn more about the topics of the show, sign up for the monthly newsletter by going to thewomenintechshow.com. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Val Head is joining us from Pittsburgh this morning. She was on the show earlier this year and we had an interview about web design and we talked about how Disney animation concepts also apply in web design. And in that interview, I remember you mentioned that Adobe Flash was part of what got you interested in programming. So it makes me really happy to see that recently you joined Adobe as a design evangelist of UX Innovation which I think it's great given the influence these products have had in your career. So welcome back to the Women in Tech
1: show, Val. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're right, it is sort of funny how like these like circles happen in your career, right? Like back in the day when I started, I definitely never thought I would be working for Adobe ever. It was just like never a thing. And it's kind of funny how these themes come up, right? Yes. You're like this
0: thing that started my career is now what I'm doing.
1: That's yeah. kind of crazy.
0: And prior to this, when we talked, you were an independent UI and animation consultant. Mm-hmm. So first I want to talk a little bit about this and then to how this work transitions to your work at Adobe. Right. So as an independent consultant, you help brands express themselves in motion and to create an animation style guideline. How do you define an animation style guideline?
1: Um, yeah, it's a lot of the things I worked with clients when I was doing consulting. And it's really a bit of like a discovery process. And everyone kind of goes through it a little differently depending on where they're at already, as far as like having a design system or a style guide in place and how much they've been using animation. But for most of my clients, I would kind of go through a process to first establish some kind of key guidelines around animation, sort of like that particular company's design guidelines around animation or design principles around animation. And that's usually some pretty high-level stuff, like, you know, animation will aim to feel real or feel like human, things like that. I didn't work with IBM, but IBM's Carbon Design System, uh, their section on animation kind of delineates that really nicely, where they have these principles up top where they're like, this is what animation means to us. It's what we strive to do with animation. It's how animation applies to our brand. And then they kind of go down into the details of, like, how that plays out. And that was a really similar structure I would follow with my clients of just, like, let's look at the big picture, figure out what we want to do, have these, you know, like design principles we can measure animation against and then let's get into the details of how that gets done. Um, And it's a really great way to kind of like focus on the big picture first, which can often be easier to discuss, and then get down into those details of like, okay, exactly what kind of easing and timing will we use? And it's uh, a little more approachable than starting with like the details first and then just, you have, you know, it's like there's so many possibilities and you don't know where to go.
0: Establishing those principles up front gives you that direction and once those principles have been established is a way to enforce them through frameworks or a tool for example like bootstrap where if you onboard new people they can only add the components and that will already have the tone of the animation and things like that
1: Yeah, I mean, some companies do work that way if they have, you know, something as structured as, like, they have a style guide, they have a design system and a style guide, and, like, then even a component library. And essentially you're, like, those are the components you use, and you can't, like, go off and make a new one without going through that whole process. Definitely bigger teams tend to work that way, so it's definitely one way to keep it really consistent. Other smaller teams who don't have the detail of, like, their own, like, essentially personal component library. They'll do it a lot by having that uh, you know that style guide in place and then kind of comparing their design ideas throughout their like a regular design review of like, hey, is this thing you're proposing is this design you're proposing with this particular animation? does that fit our overall principles? Does that use the guidelines we've put together in our style guide So sometimes it can be more of like a conversation and less so just like use this library uh, or these components so you know all, every team works in a different way, but it's just, One way or another, you have that check back to the style guide you made to make sure you're on track of what you wanted to do.
0: And during your time of independent consulting, what were some of the gaps in the design tools that you noticed or common themes among the people that you worked with?
1: Oh, there's definitely, there was like two things that everyone would always end up asking for when it came to talking about tools, mm-hmm. which came up a lot because I would do a lot of this like style guide work uh, you know, like animation in the design system work and then also a lot of workshops just kind of helping teams all get on the same page as to how to even make this make animation happen, how to build it out. So the two things that came up around tools like pretty much in every single project I worked on um, was one, everyone would ask, is there a way to like visually animate SVG? You know, there's some great JavaScript libraries to animate SVG, but like, where is there a timeline tool um, where I can animate SVG and like visually do it? And that's still a pretty big gap there. There's not really anything that does that yet. And then the other was always around prototyping tools is that pretty much whatever prototyping tool people were using, they had some pretty big gaps or like kind of Things they didn't like about it, or walls they would hit. You know, like, hey, this tool we're using is really great until we try to do this. Um, And often it was like, this this tool was great until we tried to get into some fine detail. Or this tool was great until I realized I had to learn how to write JavaScript to do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So it kind of made me realize that you know the prototyping tools we have. Currently, or you know, we're just like there's more needs out there than all of these tools are addressing right now. So those are interesting to see those commonalities across you know all these different companies and different teams that, despite working on such different projects, they had really similar like desires for the software
0: they're using. or these are also things that we notice when we have people coming from other backgrounds into programming and technology. For example, the first one about animate SVG what they were asking for having this timeline reminds me of how the animation for movies or cartoon is made. They have this timeline on their tools, right? Yep. I think it probably comes exactly
1: from that, right? They're like, I've had a tool that works like this doing other work. And now like, this seems similar. Why can't like, why doesn't something exist? Exactly. I imagine the answer is something will exist
0: at some point, but it just uh, doesn't yet or doesn't now. What are some of the things that You've learned through consulting that are going to help shape Adobe's initiatives around design? I think a lot of the things you see when you get to work with a bunch of
1: different teams. I mean, that's the kind of cool part about being a consultant is that you get to go in and work with different teams at different companies doing different, you know, who have different goals and are working on different types of projects. But there's really, you know, like I was saying before, there's an interesting point where you realize despite the fact that these teams are very different, like just, you know, work very differently, are working on very different things, there's actually a lot of common threads throughout. And I think that comparison of realizing that all of these uh, teams who are doing very different things do have things in common, but yet also have, you know, their own goals, kind of realizing those common threads and also the differences between teams is super helpful for working at a place like Adobe of just that realizing, you know, how much teams have in common and how much they maybe have not in common
0: too or how much new ways of how they use the tool, right? You might discover they're using it for something that was not intended for, but it works and maybe enhance and and nurture those experiences. Oh, definitely. It's like if you...
1: People are generally pretty innovative if they want to get a thing done. And it's amazing to see the kind of workflows people will put together when they really want to get to a specific point or a specific type of deliverable. They'll figure out a way to make it, even if it's not something the tool that they're using for it is intended for, if they have to build their own things. And I find that really, really interesting to see the workflows that people build for themselves around the tools that are available and how they
0: customize it to what they need to get done. And Adobe builds very high quality tools for designers and creators. Back when I was in college, I used InDesign when I worked on a newspaper and it took me not a long time to pick it up. So it was pretty easy to use. And also the editor of this podcast uses Adobe Audition. What makes a great tool for designers and creators? I think.
1: The key to what makes the great tools is a tool that it's sort of like reason for being. The thing, it, the main problem it's trying to solve, is one that designers also have, right? Like it's, like you said, uh, InDesign was really easy to use, and I remember that in, in university as well. Like we started out with Quark, and it was like, you know, there was all these things that were maybe difficult and kind of convoluted, and then we moved over to InDesign in our design program, and I was like, oh my goodness. This like works like my brain does. And I think that's the key is when you find that software that I know it's not a real thing with a brain, but you feel like it thinks about it the same way you do. And I, I think that's the key is finding that match. Um, and when you do find it, like you said, with it for your experience too, you're like, oh, this makes so much sense. It's so much
0: easier. And it was fun editing the newspaper. A lot of people would think, oh, you have to be tweaking the lines so that they align at the bottom together. But it was pretty fun for me at least. That's always nice when whatever you're using like, makes these like, kind of magical bits. You're like, oh, yeah, that took me a really long time. And really, yeah. it, it didn't. Yeah. And right now you work closely with the Adobe X team. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what this team does? Um, so Ad- Adobe XD is um,
1: software that's really aimed at designers. And the main goal of XD is really to like help designers get from these ideas in their head to like a prototype they can share as quickly as possible. So you can design in it, you can prototype in it, and then you can share those prototypes to, you know, get feedback, as is rather important for the design process in general. Um, so it's just really, I think it's a really nice place to like do all those things in one place. And it's I feel like the one thing that XD is doing is really trying to keep up with the speed of design in that sense. Like the work we do as designers, I feel like we're working at a faster pace or maybe just like smaller chunks at a time, smaller sprints, I guess, to borrow a term from programming. And I feel like XD really fits in with that and allows designers to work more quickly when they need to um, and not feel like they're slowed down by their software. So Mm -hmm. that's what XD aims to do, and I think it's doing it pretty well. Is this prototype process part of the storyboarding process? Um, I guess in a way it's kind of similar, like you prototype by kind of hooking together different screens, kind of like, hey, if you click this button, then you end up on this next screen and you can do this next thing.
0: So that is similar to storyboarding in a way. Yeah. What are some of the current bottlenecks in the process of designing UI animation and prototypes? I
1: think one of the biggest bottlenecks is uh, knowing how to share it, Right like i think it's fairly easy at least for some folks to if they're just working by themselves kind of go through the process of like figuring out what an animation should do and how to build it assuming they know both like you know the design and code side of things But it becomes more difficult when you have to like share that with your team and work together, right? It's like the classic problem of working with other people. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Like you have to communicate and you have to figure out a way to have similar goals. And I think that's where animation can seem hard, where UI animation can seem difficult because oftentimes it can't be the responsibility of just one person. You know, you probably need a designer and someone who's an engineer to help build things. And they at least need to agree on like what it is they're making and you know, that sounds really simple but you know with just the way we work as people sometimes it's difficult to get everyone on the same page and have that same goal I I feel like when people complain about like how they just can't get animation done in their workplace it often really boils down to that communication thing it's like you need to have the same goals you need to be on the same page as to the purpose of this animation and why it looks the way it is and why it's there Um,
0: and, and that seems to be the hardest part. Exactly. And recently, I was working on a design, a web design. Mm -hmm. And for sharing, I'm using Dropbox, and I'm using all these hacks. And I'm like, I feel there are other ways of doing this. But due to lack of time, I'm just doing it with the tools that I have right now. Yeah,
1: which, I mean, totally makes sense. You have to use what you, you know... If the workflow you put together works for you, that's totally fine. I think sometimes we get too caught up in like what the right way or like the one right way to do things are. And the reality is there's a lot of ways to get stuff done. There's a lot of right ways.
0: A lot of designers spend much of their time working alone. And I think you, you did a lot of this back when you were an independent consultant. But I saw UX designer Michael Wong said, designers work better together what are the pros and cons of working alone? I think
1: sometimes you feel like when you're working alone, you can get things done faster, but I don't know if that's always true. Like maybe you can if you're taking care of it all yourself, but I feel like there's also this thing when you're working alone, this kind of like self-doubt that comes in, right? Or you're like, wait, is this the right solution? Should I be doing it this way? And sometimes when you're working by yourself with like no outside feedback, you can end up going down these rabbit holes of like, you know, trying to finesse a detail or solve a problem that's not really there. So I think working alone can sometimes, like the pro is that sometimes you can work a lot faster, but the cons would be you can end up going down these like sidelines that maybe aren't actually important or useful and maybe don't even impact the final product in the end. Yeah. The nice thing about working with other designers is that you know you have that opportunity for feedback and especially if you work with people um where you have a lot of like mutual respect and things and you have good communication, you know, you could show another designer something that's like really rough and like early stages to get their feedback on. And w- when I'm working by myself, that is the thing I miss the most of just like, hey, you know, having another designer there that I trust enough to like show my half-made kind of messy ideas just to be like To get some sort of validation of like, does this seem like a good idea to you? Does this seem like the right direction? Um, And and getting that feedback early on, I think, really helps you focus on what you're trying to solve and what you're trying to accomplish, which is great when you have other designers around that you can work with like that.
0: What is some of the feedback that you've gotten from more experienced designers? Do they tend to say something like, oh, you can simplify it if you use this type of input control or, or things like that? I think a lot of like the
1: best advice I've gotten from other designers, especially folks that maybe are more experienced than me, is in the questions that they ask. Like, I feel like those types of folks who like have really influential feedback or just working with them is very influential on you. They rarely say things like, "Oh, you should move that 10 pixels to the left." They usually say things like, you know, "Why is that button there? Why is that button green? You know, why is this headline so much bigger than this other text?" You know, like they almost um, lead you to examine your work in a different way. They ask you about like call your attention to things that you probably didn't even realize were there. And that kind of leads you to maybe a different solution or or possibly a better solution. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens to me. I'm like, ooh, I see what you did there. And I love the way that leads to like a common solution as opposed to like someone just telling you what to do.
0: 'Cause no one likes exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The other one sounds more like an order and you're like, this person is always giving me orders. Yeah. Reduce this It's like you
1: get that in that situation where it becomes like, I'm the person telling you to move it ten pixels to the left, therefore I am right and you are wrong. And it's like yeah. design doesn't work like that. Teams don't work like that. Or at least
0: not well. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the other one gets you more to think about it even when you're not working with that expert anymore. Exactly. You you're gonna be questioning those things. Right. Like the next
1: time you're putting that headline together, you're like, oh, last time, you know, like, why am I doing this? And that's so much more useful to you to grow as a designer than someone just being
0: like, make this purple. And in your current role at Adobe as a design evangelist, Mm -hmm. you are working with the web design community to grow it and bring it closer together. What are effective ways of connecting with the community with a product or, for example, the UX standards? I
1: think a lot of it has to do with, like, realizing, you know, a little bit of what we were talking about before of just, like, what designers all have in common. There's, like, common pain points that designers have. There's common solutions that we're all looking for, um, even though we're not working on the exact same thing. So I think working on or, or focusing on those commonalities and also kind of being able to take a step back and recognize those. Because I think a lot of the time when you're, you know, working on a product with your team every day, you get very focused on what you're working on as you should. And it's nice for people working at Adobe like me that we can kind of take a look at the bigger picture and see some of these common threads and, you know, create helpful solutions or come up with helpful things or advice based on that sort of, uh, I guess, like one step back view of things.
0: And you've done a lot of workshops that, have been very successful and popular. I see people tweeting about them, talking about them. How do you go about designing a workshop? Oh, yeah. Workshops are tough. I I was recently talking to a
1: friend about, like, the first workshop I ever did and how terrible it was. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? Oh, it was just, I mean... Planning content for a whole day is really hard, especially if you've never done it before. And I just like did not have enough content to fill a day. I thought I had enough stuff. And like it's one of those things where like I accidentally skipped a whole topic and moved ahead. It was, you know, like all the classic disasters of first time teaching. (laughs) Thankfully, that was a few years ago. I've gotten better at it. That is a challenge of getting the right balance of content. So like like I said, my first one, I definitely did not have enough content. And then in my next few, like a few years ago, I tried overcompensating by just piling in as much content as possible. Like, we're going to start at 8.30. We'll only take a half an hour lunch, and we'll work till 5.30. And like people's brains, we just can't absorb new information like constantly. So there's a pacing and I think I've gotten that a lot better in my recent workshops of like that pacing of like new content, um, you know, actually trying things out, doing exercises to implement those new things. So it makes it easier to remember them. And then also having, you know, breaks, like, you know, taking an hour for lunch so you can check your email and get away from the content for a while before you dive back into this new stuff so the pacing is definitely a challenge um, but when you can get that right you feel like you totally see people like picking up the information faster and like retaining it more and just understanding it better so it's nice to have that kind of instant feedback on whether you're doing a good job with the content
0: do the examples that you show during the workshop vary depending on the type of the audience that you have? Yeah, yeah.
1: Lately, I've been doing a lot of, well, obviously a lot of workshops about around web animation and UI animation. And I've done a lot of things or a lot of workshops that focus on creating some kind of prototype to implement some of the principles I teach. So um, for folks that are maybe more web-focused and, you know, familiar with CSS, I'll have them do some prototypes in CSS. And then for audiences that are maybe more, you know, aren't as experienced in that, I'll have them like make a prototype in keynote or something. So it doesn't involve them having to make any, do any coding, but they still have to make those same, you know, decisions and apply the principles to a, a thing in the end. So I think it's helpful to adapt this stuff to your audience because it lets them, you know, no one wants to do an exercise that they feel like is so impossible for them. If you can structure it in a way that they can apply a thing they just learned, you know, a few hours ago, however that might be. I mean, that's when people, you want people to have that success with it, right? You know, if you're trying to teach someone something and they're like, it's all too hard, I don't know any of this stuff, they're not going to want to learn it and who could blame them? So having some, you know, setting things up in a way that they can easily be successful, um, even if it's only in a very controlled example at first, you know, makes it more likely they'll be able to apply that to their work in whatever software or
0: situation they're using it in. Exactly. And like you mentioned, the non-coding way of implementing some animations is with Keynote. And then these people who knows, maybe they go back to their company, they show animations to their designers that way. And that way they transmit the same message. Yeah. And the biggest thing for these workshops and the different
1: audiences is I want to make sure no matter what it is, whatever tools folks use or whatever experience they have, they feel like they have a way to communicate these ideas around animation that they have um, and create those discussions. And I think that's more important than like knowing how to perfectly code animation. Being able to talk about it well is almost more important because you probably have teammates that have the technology or the technological experience you don't. So that's less important, right? It's more about, always comes back to people. It's more about the communication. (laughs)
0: And do these interactions through the workshops help with the development and direction of the product? I think so. I mean, I don't necessarily in workshops get into anyone's specific product because
1: there's often—I mean, if you have a class of like thirty people, there's just not time. Um, but I often talk to students while they're working on these exercises. They're like, "Oh, hey, I did this for the example project, and I realized I could use like apply this exact same principle to this interaction we have at work, and I can make this, you know, micro interaction we have or this large interaction we have." be much more meaningful if I apply these animation principles to it as well. So it's nice to see people make that connection really
0: quickly. Last question. In your opinion, what makes a good design evangelist? Ooh, wow. That's a hard last question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think for anyone doing this sort of like community-facing work, A big thing of it is listening to the community. Listening is a big, big part. Like, it's not about just talking about your favorite topic or talking about your favorite software. Um, It's also just as much, if not more so, actually probably more so, about listening to the community and getting feedback on, like, what they're working on, what things they find difficult are, the things they're concerned about or or excited about. Uh, I think that's really a bigger part of the picture is... uh, you know, is that listening aspect to be able to understand the community um, and also participating in it. Right. You know, like that's part of the reason why I do conferences and all of those things. If I was just sitting in my office, just like, you know, doing whatever I want, it's not really the same as actually, you know, being there face to face to engage with the community. So I think that listening and, you know, physical face time is also really important.
0: And especially to motivate more people to make higher quality animations and things like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's much easier to do when there's more points of contact and when you actually, you know, listen to folks and help, you know, frame things in a way that fits what they're working on in their context. Like, otherwise, it's just Val the weirdo talking about animation a ton, <laughs> <laughs> yes. which is much less useful. <laughs> yeah. Although some people probably do think that about
0: me, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Val, thank you for taking the time to come back to the show. It was great talking to you again. Yeah, it was lovely talking with you again,
1: too.